the only true mistakes is when you hurt the feelings of people um, mm. and you bring people down and especially if you if you can if you don't have a way to go and recover and bring the people up Welcome to the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast, where we explore the three facets of the modern man and discuss leadership, chivalry, and style so that you can continue to bring your best to the world. Hi, I'm Jeff Hendrickson, and through impactful subjects and in interviews with men I've known and worked with in various industries over the years, you'll learn some valuable lessons about modern men and their struggles and triumphs. For today's podcast, I'll be interviewing Dr. Rado Kotorov, who I was fortunate enough to call boss for three years. Rado holds a PhD in applied philosophy, specializing in decision and game theory and economics, and is the founder of Trendalyze, a 21st century data analytics software company, being recognized by industry analysts as one of the most important new enterprise tech startups of the decade. He's co-author of the book Organizational Intelligence with Jerry Cohen, founder of Information Builders in New York City, and has recently released his latest book, Data-Driven Business Models for the Digital Economy, which is available on Amazon and from other sellers. In my time working with Rado, I learned a tremendous amount about analytics, business, and also a lot about how CEOs think. He always challenged me to be better at what I did and became a great friend and confidant as well. He has a vast knowledge of multiple subjects and is one of the deepest thinkers and most pleasurable conversationalists that I know. It's my honor and privilege to share his story with you today. Rado, thank you very much for joining me tonight for this Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast. How are you tonight? I'm very good. Thank you for having me on your podcast. You're quite welcome. I, this is, this is you, were, you were like at the top of my list for for guys that I wanted to interview uh, for this because, you know, you, like we talked about earlier, you, you really do embody the sage, the warrior, and the gentleman to me. And uh, I know we're going to get into some really cool stuff uh, tonight. Um, you know, I, I, just, I, I just want for this to be a really good, honest conversation between you and I. So, you know the format. Uh, we went through it. I sent it to you. So, let's first just tell everybody about your occupation. Let's, let's tell everybody who you are. Go for it. Well, I'm now running a startup, Trendalyze, which is specializing in detecting shapes in time series data. And many, few people know, but anything can be converted to time series data, uh, images, voice, text, and everything. And the reason why I'm doing this is because we need a simpler ways to do artificial intelligence, humanly understandable, not threatening, and being able to be done by everybody else, uh, every ordinary person. And if you look actually at how the brain works, the brain is a very simple machine. It recognizes or it doesn't recognize shapes. And if it can recognize a shape, it's familiar with it and engages in recognition. If it doesn't recognize it, it engages in learning. And that's an activity that everybody does from kids to middle-aged to elderly people. It's non-threatening, it's aiding the humans. And we can come with a non-black way so that no one is afraid of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. That is my motivation of doing that. Yeah. How long have you been working on that? Whew, that's a difficult technology. It's five years. We're finally getting it to market. Uh, we're excited that we can give it now in the hands of engineers, doctors, 
marketing researchers, financial analysts, and etc. It's not an easy path to bring a startup, especially in a uh, complex technology. So what's motivating us is more of a mission. We're more of a missionaries than uh, business people. We combine the two, but I say that the thing that carries us through the difficulties is the mission. Yeah, and you're starting to get accolades, right? I'm starting to see some things on LinkedIn where, where people are starting to recognize how important what you're doing is. You know, I detected in the last couple of years that uh, people like complex things. If you offer magic and you say that's magical and you show that it's very complex, people are fascinated. But if you show something that's simple and there is no magic card tricks in it, people get like, oh, no, we want the magic. And I've always been of the opinion that if you don't, if you can't explain it, if people don't understand it and get it right away, it might be a snake soil. So, so, yeah, yeah. so we had to fight the hard path to say, hey, it doesn't have to be complex. It can be simple. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about your path, though, because you didn't get here overnight. You've, you, you've done quite a few things. You've worked for a couple of different companies. You were my boss for a while. So let's talk a little bit more about your path to where you are right now. Oh, how many hours do we have for that? <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut you off if we need to. <laughs> I, I took a meandering road. I mean, it so happened in my life that given what's happening today in the U.S., my big ch- the big changes in my life started with the fall of the, of the Iron Curtain in Eastern Europe. I've witnessed the revolution. I've been part of it. I saw this. I saw the opening of opportunities, the changing of the mindset and all of that. At that time, I was studying law I, uh, because it was the freest profession in, uh, during communism that you could get. And, uh, but as soon as the things opened, I seeked opportunities in entrepreneurship because to me, the biggest drive is to create something that's useful to other people. Uh, and my road took me from there through studies in the U.S., in finance and marketing and accounting, and then ultimately ending up in doing a Ph.D. in applied philosophy with a specialization in decision and game theory and economics. And it took me through several startups in the U.S. to the big company where we worked together at Information Builders. And then finally, and now where I'm now, finally or not finally, but hopefully we'll do many more startups, uh, to creating something new uh, and, and useful. So, and through that road, I took a lot of uh, diversified paths and diversified learning. So, I learned that uh, we need well-rounded people with interdisciplinary skills, knowing many different things because life is complex and it's getting more complex nowadays. And the more fields you know and you understand, the broader perspective you get at things, uh, the better equipped you are to to innovate and to relate to other people too. So I'm a firm believer in a renaissance type of learning when you need to know diverse fields. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So the game theory thing is, it has been really fascinating for me lately. So how does game theory relate to artificial intelligence for you? <laughs> it's, it's one of those connections that many people ask. I think the philosophy degree that I have is more that relates to artificial intelligence because mm. intelligence is ultimately a philosophical question. We still don't have an answer of what constitutes consciousness and intelligence ultimately. Uh, but the game theory is uh, very interesting because it's a logical and mathematical uh, 
type of science and, and it kind of formulates everything as an assumptions and conclusions and possibilities of what's going to happen and ultimately game theory underlies all of our interactions and we can model everything from love to divorce to war to peace to contracts in court to uh, any interaction as a game of interests and game of strategies between people and and when you do game theory you realize actually one very important thing in life that's probably today politically very important for us to realize that cooperation is very valuable and produces the highest outcomes in society in personal interactions in business and in everything but is the hardest one to achieve that's behind mm -hmm. prisoner's dilemma that all of us encounter and it's i've always been game theory taught me one of the biggest lessons in my life you always have to think how you can expand the pie and uh, the things that I see most often in the world is that people are trying to divide a shrinking pizza pie instead of thinking how they can expand it and make it bigger and better for everyone. Yeah. So that's, that's the intelligence we need to reach, how to get more cooperative, knowing that from an incentive perspective and interaction perspective, it's the hardest thing to achieve. Yeah. Okay. So... Let's take that now and you know that I want to go deeper into this because occupation is, is, is one thing that we have as men and the one thing that we bring to the world is, is the work that we have. But the work that we do spreads out in so many different directions. It's, it's almost impossible for, for everybody to see. So what I want to know now is, is how has the work that you've done and, and what you've pursued in your life how has that helped your family? How has that helped society? Where is that spreading out to other people? And, and where do you feel that deeper in your heart about what you do for the world? So I think the major misconception and what we get attached with work, and I started there when I was early in my career. We, when you start early, you associate yourself with a position, not with your calling. Somehow that's how we get taught and how we get perceived success in society. So you start and you want to be, oh, I want to be a director. And then, oh, I want to be a VP. And then, oh, I want to be a CEO or a CEO or something else. And these are positions, but they are not callings. And so what, what I have done and what I have realized with the help of my daughter recently who told me and said, Dad, you're the philosopher. Whenever I have a hard question, I turn to you for advice. And I, I realize how important it is that actually where I, what I've done the best and what ultimately I am as a career and as a professional is I'm a mentor and a teacher. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then I kind of rationalized it and went into, because uh, went to the past and I thought every good craftsman wanted to pass his craft to the next generation and to more people. And I think ultimately that as a human beings, uh, that's what we want to do. And that's what I do. And I think um, now I, I spend a lot of time and I take an incredible pleasure of teaching other people what to do or helping them what to do. And that doesn't mean teaching them some specific craft or anything. In my case, it's more kind right. of helping people find what they love to do and helping right. them understand what are the steps to achieve it. Uh, and that's my take to innovation. We recently put a very young team of five people and I said, don't listen to me. 
if I give you an idea about what you should do. But listen to me, if I listen to your ideas and I tell you how to get there, or I, I edit the idea in a, like the editor of things. But I think teaching and uh, mentoring are, uh, is my calling. And that's, that's how it helps society. And I think I, I feel most uh, rewarded personally. And yeah. most- well, and I'm, I, I, I'm a personal example of that. And, and I mean, even the way you... Um, even the way you encourage Miles, you know, and the way you talk to me about, about Miles. Um, and for those of you listening, my son Miles uh, knows Rado. He is a photographer, and uh, Rado has encouraged Miles to, to go for his dreams and keep doing it. So it's one thing that I've, I've been very appreciative. I gave um, him a camera for a while. <laughs> you did. I know, right? Yeah, in the lens. In the lens. Did, did, I, I think he finally ended up buying one of those lenses <laughs> for me, right? <laughs> And he loved it because he, I, it was, it was really funny because he, he called me or texted me or I don't remember it, it, if it was when we were still all working there at Information Builders, but somehow or another he's like, Dad, you wouldn't believe these lenses that Rado's letting me use right now. <laughs> it's like it's fantastic. See, so that's what I mean. Yes, and you are that absolutely. You are that. You are that teacher and that mentor. So. Let's go from there, and we all make mistakes, right? And we all learn by the mistakes we made. So our pivot right now is, is into that, and I'd like for you to share with us one of the biggest mistakes you made, you know, something that you didn't necessarily know how you'd get out of. Eventually, of course, you did, but share one of those mistakes with us. Well, I think I do these all the times, but I, I have a... I, again, I recently thought, and after you asked me this question uh, a while ago, and I, I've been asked about that, uh, I, I think that my perspective on mistakes is different. And I'll tell you a couple of them, but like the first one that I thought I really made a mistake was when I moved to the States. I was madly in love and very passionate, and I had a great career back in Bulgaria, and I left everything practically. People thought I was mad, and I moved to the States. And suddenly I was in Toledo, Ohio, in the middle of nowhere with nothing to relate to or anything. And I really didn't know what would happen or how it would happen and whether I won't end up on the streets without any job or anything to happen. It was really, really one of these things that every day it goes and says, uh, why did you exactly do that? And what was kind of the motivation except passion? And is passion a crazy thing to follow? And then strange as it happens in life is that things kind of line up and you learn from this experience and it humbles you in a different way because you see how quickly you can go from good to bad and from, from you know, being flying in confidence and everything to fear about the future. And uh, but ultimately, you know, opportunities open. We started a startup, and simultaneously with it, there was uh, uh, I started doing my PhD, and things one by one starting to turn off. And then five years later, and I even put on me a constraint. And I said, I'm not going to go back for five years to see my mother because I said if I go back, I might do two mistakes at once. I better stick to my choice now and do it. And in hindsight, I mean, it was the best experience to, to the extent that when my, my dissertation sort of tore apart my first paper and said, this is junk except for one sentence. And if you want me to teach you how to write and think, 
in the in the American way and express yourself in a different way. And there are differences in language expressions and so sure. that help you, but it's hard on your ego. And I know that. And I had to, I said, yeah, but fine, but I'll work. And now when I look at hindsight, I mean, it was one of the best decisions I made. And I truly now feel American, more American than Bulgarian. I still ask for the menu in Bulgaria in English because language changes over 20, 30 years. But uh, it seemed a mistake. It was scary. It is terrible. But when you reach to the end, you are kind of, oh, my goodness, that's fine. And recently, like two years ago, I signed a contract for my second book. You know about that? And the moment I signed it and I looked with how many chapters I have written, I was so scared. And I said, why did I sign a contract? I mean, can I have written a little bit more and be more sure? And sure, as it happens in life, all kind of intervening circumstances happen. But when you are committed and when you actually do it, you go and say, you can get out of any mistake and the learnings are incredible. I think if you take risks, everything every mistakes and you learn from it turns into an opportunity. Sure. But if you start ruminating all the time about the mistakes and don't try to get out of it and turn it into an opportunity, um, then, then you are confined by your own thinking, not by your own actions. Yeah. Are you, so I keep doing the mistakes. The same thing happened when I jumped to do the startup. I mean, like, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which was which was going to be my next question. Do you, do you continue to make those kind of mistakes? And I think we all do. I, none of us are immune from making mistakes, and it's how we learn. It's how we, you know, there there there's the there's the saying, "Fail your way forward," right? Um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Fail I forward. think if you're, I, I I think if you're living, you're making mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you're you're not really living. If you're trying to play it too safe, that's no way to live, right? So you kind of already talked about, uh, about the lessons that you, that you learned from all that. Is there anything else that, that you want to say about that? Because I, I, I love this. I, I, I love the way this conversation is going. You're, you're, you're talking about some things that to me are just at the core of everything that, um, that we're trying to accomplish here. So the only true mistakes is when you hurt the feelings of people. Um, um, and you bring people down, and especially if you if you can if you don't have a way to go and recover and bring the people up, these are really unforgivable mistakes, and these yeah. are that torment you through life because people are too important, and uh, the mistakes of what we do and our actions through learning can be enhanced, but but if we the mistakes we make to hurt people, they're, they're kind of very hard to recover. Yeah, they are. Also, yeah. think we don't know if the people where we committed that mistake intentionally or passionately and unreasonably, uh, whether this is going to, they are going to be able to recover from that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. All right, so let's switch over to wins now. Give us an example of a really great win for you. Uh, you know what? I, I appreciate the small wins. So, I mean, I think the biggest things that I appreciate are the small wins. And I have one today. I mean, I was sitting with my dog on the couch and I hear a bang on the window. And I go out and I look at this tiny baby bird that had a flying accident. I think they get confused with the reflection. And I find it beautiful little bird on the ground. I say, oh my goodness, is it dead? Am I going to get a bag and just put it in the garbage? 
And I see it shaking. I picked it up, said, let's see if it's, it's uh, uh, hurt or it can survive. So I said, why don't I give it water? And I started taking it around. And so her shaking uh, the, her little head. So I said, well, let's teach her smell the roses. So I had pictures of the little bird taking her to the roses and everything. I said, I'll teach her to fly. So I started making flying accidents and etc. And five minutes later, it flew up. And it's so amazing to watch this bird with closed eyes from the shop and everything. You know, the neck lifting up and then suddenly taking off. And it's very rewarding. It's an amazing win. But I'll tell you my biggest enjoyment. And now we have probably, we have eight or eight or ten interns in the company. And we wanted to create for each one of them a meaningful, not just an internship that they put on their resume, but we said, I want out of you to have things that go into the product, and I want you to have a paper that's published in the journal. And watching how these kids created all these things, and we put all the, the supervision, we got engaged professors and stuff, and they're doing their masters, finishing it, and now each one of them has a ready-made paper and anything. It's amazing because you see the accomplishment of other people. And that's, that's the best. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Not my biggest win. I mean, I can't tell you. Yeah, naturally, you measure wins if, if a company grows and if you have financial success. But it really doesn't matter if you don't see that manifesting in the people that, that are engaged in that, in that activity. So we yeah. Do. yeah, that's cool. Bird by bird. <laughs> so any, oh, well, you know, that's a, that's a famous book on writing, right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> and Lamont, bird by bird. <laughs> that's cool. That is, that is such a cool story. And, you know, when you were, when you were, you know, because this is only uh, uh, an audio podcast, nobody can see the video that I can see of you since you and I are actually looking at each other. But, I, but, but, but when you were doing, you know, the motion of, of trying to make the bird feel the wind and feel the flight again, I was feeling that as well. And that was incredible. And I just kind of put myself in the position of that little bird in the hand of this gentle, considerate man. I sent the pictures. Yeah, I know, exactly. And that comes back to life and everything we do in life and how connected everything is. And this goes back again to what I said to you before I pushed record about how I see you as the embodiment of a sage, a warrior, and a gentleman. And just the fact that you would do something like that kind of proves it to everybody, right? Uh, that's that's just that's an amazing story thank you thank you very much for sharing that with us so all right so actually this is a really good segue into the next part right because um you know what i say are 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 some of the traits of what what i think are the traits of a of a true modern man today are the traits of leadership honor integrity confidence and compassion so can we talk about some of those? Are, 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 are any of those words words that you really relate to somehow or another? I know what they are for me in you because of our relationship and how we've worked together. I know how I see you in those, but how do you see yourself in any of those words or terms or phrases or thoughts or feelings? I'll tell you, I mean, when I think of myself, the four things that I want to pray for is like, having wisdom, courage, health, and luck. 
And that to me is the, the most important thing in life that if you if 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 you're not wise, then there is a lot of things that can go wrong and etc. And if you're not courageous, you're never going to take an action in moments when decisive action needs to be taken. And you certainly need to pay attention to your health and you certainly need some luck in life. And uh, and that that's more true with, uh, of course, with as entrepreneurs, we recognize the luck and some days we go and we're amazed as uh, how, how events line up in a certain moment to do that. But it also is the thing that is you're prepared to do and to take on. So they're very important things to me, yeah. Sure. What are the things you do to stay healthy? I ride bicycles. I run elliptical trainer. I try to eat very well. So I try to do as much sleep well. And uh, not having bad thoughts and not get agitated and angry or envious and all these. Mental health is very important also. I think yeah. that mental health is more important than even anything else you can do dietary and don't get me wrong but i think that if you're unhappy it doesn't matter how much else you would do you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to maintain it so mental health is to me the number one priority mm -hmm. and then aligned with it is everything else that helps good eating good good exercises and, uh, and in general a content life i think yeah yeah and I, I i've 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 seen firsthand that you have a really good balance in there i mean i've 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 been to your house for, for a cookout and for dinner i've met some of your friends oh, there yeah and now further away but <laughs> <laughs> and, and and i know that you keep a really good balance that way and that's that i think is 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 super important is you know as much as you've accomplished in your life in your in your career life I've also seen the really cool kind of community that you build around yourself and how, how your friends and how the people who come to see you, how they love you and how they relate to you. And that is so important to me. I've been lucky with friends like you. <laughs> but but it's, it's also true that how we relate to people. So, I mean, you know, we work together and I, I like to have a human relationship with everyone and turn it into a friendship. If I'm going to spend hours with, with you working on something, I, I treat it as a partnership work. And I treat it as an opportunity for me to learn from you as well as you learn from me. And, and that has been tremendous in the way of finding friends and being everything. As long as you're open to people and you are sincere in what you do and what you say. I think friends are abundant. Yeah. And, and, it's, and I'm very lucky in this aspect, but I think uh, I meet people that also put effort into that to, 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 be, uh, to be giving people. Mm -hmm. And that, that's very important. I think that's what makes human relationships meaningful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you know that another one of my... One of the other things that I that I hold very dearly, and 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 what I'm also trying to teach, or because like you, I, I, I'm a teacher, I'm a mentor, I'm I'm a teacher as well, and it's it's what I'm trying to do through these podcasts, and it's 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 the underlying part of all of it is is how do I go to the 
men that I know who have been around the block who do some phenomenal things, how do I go to them and pull stuff out of them that we can use to teach other men? And a part of that to me is chivalry. And when I interviewed another one of my old bosses, Jeff Sword, just a couple of nights ago, whose, whose podcast is out already, I asked him about chivalry, what, what chivalry means to him. And he immediately went back to medieval times. You know, chivalry is this thing that happened in medieval times, but I want to know what modern chivalry means to us. I kind of know what it means to me. So when I say that to you, what does, what does chivalry mean to you, Rado? I mean, to me, it's three things. Control over power, fear, and passion. And I think uh, it, it's like you started it finally with that. And it's like, to me, it's like when you're powerful, you, you have to be gracious to the people who have less power than you. And you have to be actually not exercising the power uh, of, uh, and not trying to dominate, but actually be the servant to the people who are below you. And that's, that's a very important thing nowadays. And it's, it's more important... Uh, in, in given how much technology and isolation we have from people, because I hear nowadays that people are firing people over text messages. We in a text message. And that's, that's cowardice, because you're not facing the people that actually would suffer the consequences. Um, uh, and then the second is overcoming your fears, because... Let's face it, there is no human being that does not have fears. And the Romans said courage is going ahead despite knowing the fears and the difficulties in the situation. And in many cases, we take risks, and, and there are big risks that impact other people. But we, we, we have to calculate and, and be not foolish, but knowing the risks, still have the courage to go ahead because of what we do is important. And also not fool other people. Also have the courage to tell other people what the risks are and why we're taking these other risks. I see nowadays a lot of closed management that goes around and says, does not tell the employees the risks. And to me, that's fooling the other people. And that's also a fear by management that they can fail. So that, that development of that feeling that I'm not going to tell the people what the risks are of our actions or our strategy or anything is a fear of failure and fear that somebody can point fingers at you at the end. And it was actually great what Elon Musk did uh, these days and said, I'm the chief engineer. If a success goes, it goes to all the other people, but it fails, it's my responsibility. And that's exactly what it is and how it should be. And then finally, the passions. Are, we, I think with the whole technology stuff, uh, we're allowing patients to ride us, ignoring the human aspect of, of all the things. And, and to me, being able to control the patients in that way and arrange them and bring them into them, the humanity. I mean, I've seen, as, as I said, as people feel that they can do everything remotely and they're not human-to-human -human interaction, I see a lot more bullying. I see a lot more, you know, uh, Ego's coming out, and it's a very strange effect, but that's what, what's happening, and it's not coming in a good way because it's very difficult to see a suffering human being and maintain a tough stand. It takes, you know, literally a psychopath to be able not to cry over a person's uh, misfortunes. But 
but with the technology creating the distance that gets easier and you can see bad patients coming up and we're not exercising the, the control. So to me, this is in the modern world where we are going to live with technology, where we are going to do a lot more things, not person to person. It's easy to turn things into, uh, to lose, to lose um, sight of these important control over these important passion and to turn power into a scary thing, to turn fears into, into crazy things and to turn passions into extremes. So I think we need to teach a different than the medieval uh, chivalry because in the medieval chivalry, you were one-on-one, -on -one, man on man. Right, right. It's not the case anymore. Well, you know what? I was ready to agree with you, but now I'm going back to what you said just a second ago about the fact that we're doing so many things virtual right now. And right now, you and I are one-on-one. -on -one. Right now, we're man-on-man. -on -man. And, and this is going to happen more often, I think. Mm -hmm. so I, think there's, I, I think there's a little bit deeper question in there. I think that sounds like a LinkedIn article that you're going to write pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's very deep. How do we convey uh, the individuality and all these things when we're not face-to-face -face and everything matters, voice, gesture. It's a very complex how many signals we sense when we are person in person. And think about that. If we lose 80% of our sight or 80% of our other senses, we feel crippled. Yeah. Somehow we're under the impression that uh, not being face-to-face -face is not taking away a lot of that, but it is. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, that's happening to me right now because, you know, you know even though uh, after I left Information Builders and now that I'm with GE, um, I'm still doing these discovery workshops all over the world. And when we actually get together in a room with people, the stuff that we get done is incredible. And now I'm being forced to try to do some of these things virtually like this. And they're working okay. We're, we're actually making some progress um, but anybody who's, <clears throat> anybody who's, who's done these with me and, and, and has participated in these with me says the same things afterwards. You know, you get Jeff in a room and stuff happens. It's so different. we're, we're doing our best, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our yeah. best to use technology as we can and, and get it done. <clears throat> Think about what would a soccer game be if it's played virtually. <laughs> right. <laughs> There is, yeah, some, exactly. there is some power in the team when they're together, when they're sure, running sure. together, that they feel they're where they are. They don't even think where the ball is. They have a very different interaction when they're on the field together. Oh, yeah. That's uniquely human. Yeah, absolutely. We don't have to lose it. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of things can go virtual, but we have to re-educate ourselves how this happens. Yeah. So another thing that a gentleman has to me is style. And a lot of the men I'll be interviewing for this podcast are, are, are men that I've worked with in the clothing industry. And you're one of the few men out of the clothing industry that actually has what I would call style. You do. Uh, you, you turn up with this super sharp jacket on and I've been to your tailor with you where I, I think it was a leather jacket you wanted to get redone and I went to the tailor with you 
and you've always got the super sharp shirts and the ties and the glasses. And you walked in one day and you put on a new pair of glasses and you go, all right, what do you think about these? Do you like these glasses? So, so you're a man that has style. So let's talk about style. What's your personal brand of style? <laughs> you, you know what? I don't think I have one. I probably have three, but, and, uh, I like, I do actually think that, that we have to have professional elegance style. I like the suits and I like the tights and I like all of that, not for any other reason. Many people view these as, as an instrument, the suit as a symbol of power, but it's not actually that. It's a symbol of readiness and respect, readiness to do things and it's a symbol of respect to others too. And, and, and I see it as, as it's like when you go to a medical doctor and you see them dressed in a certain way, how you gain confidence. It, it just, it's, it's signal of, of yourself and your professionalism and things like that. It doesn't have to be in every profession, the suit or everything. That's why the style has to develop. So I separate the styles and I said there are occasions when I want to be in a suit, whether I'm going to an important meeting or I'm just dressed up for the office, there are days like that. And then I think there is a casual side to it. And uh, the casual side is, is also very, very important because you're not always ready to act or ready to portray your professionalism and things or just ready to be, to button up and feel good about it. And, uh, but it, it's a different way. You're relaxed. You're, you're, it's your different side of it. And, and we are trying to mesh it all in one, but we do have different sides. And then, like you said, I have the experimental side in me. When I'll go to a shop and I'll just like a leather jacket for the craftsman work. I mean, I bought leather pants that I have never worn just because they look so beautiful. The craftsmanship in it was so amazing. that I said, I have to have that. And then, then that, that's an appreciation of the craft of clothing. And when you appreciate that, then naturally you're going to experiment with that. And sometimes people go and say, why do we have to have an appreciation of clothes? Well, but then if you go with this question, why do we have to have an appreciation of food? Why do we have to have an appreciation of wine, flowers, nature, or anything? We can reduce all the appreciations. And if you appreciate something, you're going to spend time learning about it and you're going to start respecting the craft. And you're going to have a different attitude to the people who make it. I mean, that's the biggest point, is that as we have a develop appreciation for things and we educate ourselves on them, we get respect to the work of the people who make those things. We respect great chefs because we appreciate food. If we don't appreciate food, we're okay with frozen food, just not to say that there are cases when the frozen food can be turned into an art too. I'm not, but but we have to have an appreciation for it and work. So that's that's my attitude. I was like passion. I spent a year in a tailoring school. <laughs> a year in tailoring school. All right. Yeah, I think. I think I, I think I remember that in, in, in one of our conversations, probably sitting somewhere having cigars and a whiskey I, that, that, that might have come up at some point in time. All right, cool. So we are we're, we're, we're getting down towards the end. We're in the we're in the home stretch now. And so before we close out. My final question to you is this. 
If you were to mentor a younger man, what area do you, do you think you would have the strongest influence? I wouldn't choose an area or anything. I probably for my birthday received the best message from my daughter who said, and I have to find it because I'll read it because it was uh, well said, but that's exactly what I like to do. Please so, do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday, Dad. Thank you for being my biggest supporter and always seeing my potential, even when I haven't seen it myself. Yeah. And I think that's probably the something that I pay the most attention to in pay people. Mm. If I see some potential that most people know their potential. They're just not confident enough to look at it seriously. And uh, they're like... And most, most people, I think, doubt, put 90% doubt in their potential. And so my role has been always to go and say, go for it, fly with it. Yeah. Uh, and not just give an empty encouragement that says, oh, you're great and this and this, because that doesn't help. Mm. But if I can point and direct and give them something to nibble on, something to excite them, that I think is the best I can do. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. who to say who has what calling in life? <laughs> yeah, true. Well, I know you. I know you did that with me, you know, and 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 that's that's been that's been one of my the fortunate times in my life is is having you as as a mentor and someone who could take a look at the work that I was doing and understand it really in a way that not very many other people did. And I think there was. I, I, I think there was even an aspect of that where, where you didn't necessarily understand everything that I was doing, but it didn't matter didn't. to you. You didn't. Yeah. Right. But it didn't matter to you because you saw that I had a passion for it. Mm -hmm. And so you helped me pave the way with upper management and with other people who you knew had to have influence in it somehow or another. You use your influence and your power to help me do what I felt was really important for that company. And that was something that I have always appreciated and always tell people about. I didn't blindly trust you, but I, I saw the passion in certain aspects, but I, I saw a deep understanding of certain aspects of what you wanted to do. So I looked at this as a passion plus depth. And when I see this, and I may know that you may not know everything about it, mm -hmm. but if I see depth, in 10% of what you want to do that I can recognize, then I know that you achieve depth in 100% of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's why it's a simple rule. It's not something that's magical or anything, but it kind of allows you to match passion with aptitude to learn and get it done. Yeah. Yeah. So we've come to the end, sir. Um, my final question to everybody before we close out is, is there anything else you would like to say? Um, the only thing that nowadays I think about is that we all should use kind of our creativity to get out and compassion and ability to relate to each other to get out of this crisis. We should kind of rejuvenate our brains and think a little bit creatively and not divide the shrinking pie, but go and say, how can we expand the pie? And, and I actually even wrote a proposal about that. And I said, 
we're treating unemployment wrong. We have 40 million people unemployed, which is unbelievable. And I said, why don't, instead of paying unemployment checks, why don't we give it an unemployment equity and pay these people to work in startups and things like that? Because rather than stay at home and not being able to do that, if we plug them in a community of businesses that are building the next big things or trying to, that's a fast way to retrain. It's a fast way to get to know people. And it's still an opportunity to do something like that. Mm -hmm. And I don't see, because when the pie is shrinking without, without an ability to see future or to participate in future and hope, then all kind of bad things happen and people start getting depressed and people start feeling less uh, worthy and less dignified and etc. And we have all the means and technologies to change that. So I'm looking to entrepreneurial thinking and a hope for the future. Yeah. You put an article on LinkedIn about that too, didn't you? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah. I firmly believe that it's the fastest way out. I mean, there is so much creativity going in the society and so much technology that we're not even using it to foster this creativity. Yeah. A lot more we can do. Okay. Rado, thank you very, very much for spending some time with me on this. I thoroughly enjoyed this. There were, there, there were times actually during this interview where I had tears rolling down my cheeks, just listening to you and just, just, I don't even know how to explain it, but, but, but you and I just, there's just a certain kind of relationship that you and I have and you just, you bring some things out in me and you bring some passion out in me. And I know how passionate I am for doing this podcast and for continuing this and it's because of men like you in my life that I feel I can do something really great with this podcast. So thank you very, very much for taking some time to allow me to interview you tonight. Thank you, Jeff. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, this, is, this is a great idea, and it's really ideas that we have to share. Cool. Thanks, Rado. Thank you. So thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sage Warrior Gentleman podcast. And remember that you can join us and get a free guide over at sagewarriorgentleman.com. We'd love to have you join our conversation and please help us spread the word if you feel this could help someone you know and care about.